1: Hi, this is Bryce from Precision Nutrition, and today I'm reading the article, I'm a Coach, Not a Therapist! Nine Ways to Help People Change While Staying Within Your Scope, by Krista Scott-Dixon. As a health and fitness coach, it's easy to feel frustrated when clients share deep concerns that go beyond eating and exercise. It's easy to think, I'm a coach, not a therapist. However, you're more therapist-like than you think. And in this article, we'll help you turn clients' emotional pain into meaningful change without going outside your scope of practice. Here's what Krista has to tell us. Sooner or later, all coaches experience a certain uncomfortable moment. A client lays some really heavy-duty, capital-I issue on you. Perhaps they just started a new job and are completely overwhelmed at work. Maybe they have a not-so-great relationship with their mom, who has always criticized their weight, and that's why they're struggling now. Or maybe they disclose something super serious, like trauma or childhood abuse. Your client looks at you expectantly through tear-clouded eyes. Can you help them? Suddenly the room seems small. Your, Your mouth goes dry, your brain blank. You feel those uncomfortable, difficult, do not want feelings start to blossom in the depths of your gut. Anxiety, panic, dread. You have no idea what to do. This is the moment that new coaches fear the moment your client expects you to stop being their health, fitness, or nutrition coach and start being their therapist. And of course, you're not a therapist. However, you're more like a therapist than you want to believe. I'm a coach, not a therapist. I've heard this refrain thousands of times from coaches. No matter their country, culture, or exact profession, all coaches would like to hereby remind us all that they are not therapists. And coaches I hear you. It's uncomfortable when someone lays their problems on you, when they ask for help outside your area of training and expertise. And you're right. You're not a therapist, nor should you try to be. Unless you are, of course, an actual therapist. But sometimes you do need to be therapist alike. Because therapists don't let the deep, dark, troubling confessions they hear all day affect their inner lives. Even better, they empower the person who is struggling to do something about it on their own. You can't change the fact that your clients are gonna share their issues with you. Everyone's got them, but you can change how you respond to the issues and use them for good. And that shift is what can turn you into a super coach. That's why in this article, I'll show you how to turn these awkward, uncomfortable moments into an opportunity to do your best work as a coach, a powerful two-step process for navigating serious problems with clients and techniques to handle them with skill, how to stop letting clients crap affect you, without firing them or losing your job, and what to do when you're in over your head. To begin, see uncomfortable moments for what they are. When clients come to you with their gut-wrenching dilemmas and emotional car crashes, they're actually coming to you with an opportunity for change. Psychologists refer to this dark moment of despair as creative hopelessness. This is the moment when things suck so badly, your normal coping mechanisms no longer cut it. You're forced to try something new, Therapists and counselors are in the business of helping people work through creative hopelessness to create change. And so are you. As a coach, change is your game, baby. In fact, while less experienced coaches tend to dread these awkward moments, super coaches love them. Take my client who had a high-powered law career. Her job was amazing, according to everyone else. But what I saw as her coach was that her job was making her miserable. She was incredibly stressed. She was binge eating and drinking she wasn't sleeping. One day she broke down during a session and the truth came out. She could no longer handle her life. It turns out she really wanted to be a landscape designer, something her professional-minded family didn't exactly approve of. But she needed this deeply uncomfortable moment of creative hopelessness to realize that something had to change. The overeating and constant stress weren't working for her anymore. It was time to try something new. Eventually, she realized she needed to ditch the job she hated to open the door to the life she really wanted to live. Suddenly, what other people thought didn't matter so much. She knew what she needed to do. And I stuck with her through that tough, messy period, which only strengthened our coaching relationship. So remember that the messy moments and emotional breakdowns, when handled properly, can actually become breakthroughs, turning points for something new and better, and opportunities to do your best work. In other words, Great coaches have a system for handling the stuff. When faced with clients' stuff, coaches may want to turn and run or shake it off, get back to squats, turn up the music to drown out the weeping. I call this the drip method. Deny, repress, ignore, and pretend. Maybe you recognize it from painfully awkward family dinners. Or your default response may be to do everything you can to cheer your client up. Help them see the bright side. Even better, solve their problem for them. Start listening off solutions. Or maybe you're so put off by this client and their problems that you're thinking about firing them. Ugh, why did they make you go there with them? But none of these actions will actually help your client change. Great coaches, the ones that lean into these raw and difficult moments gracefully and skillfully, have a better process. You might be surprised how simple it can be to turn a seat squirming, uncomfortable conversation into a powerful change moment. To do that, you'll need to do two therapist-like things. Number one, identify and help the client notice this change moment. And number two, develop an action plan once you have fully explored the problem. So here's how this works. Step one, identify and help the client notice this change moment. Your goal in this step is to help your client see the opportunity for change and move toward action. This doesn't require a lot of special skills. It does require some basic human skills that you probably already have. Here are some techniques to help you facilitate this first step, beginning with stay with the discomfort. We often want to run away from uncomfortable moments. Don't stay present, stay checked in, breathe, let the moments unfold. Often simply by staying present and aware of yourself and the situation is the bravest and most effective thing you can do. Say to yourself, man, this is pretty freaking weird or icky or uncomfortable right now. And maybe I have no idea what to do here. Acknowledge that reality and stay in it. Notice and name what you're feeling, thinking, and experiencing. Help your client do the same by being present and sticking with them. They don't know where to go do next, and it's okay if you don't either in this moment. You can also empathize and connect. You may not identify with exactly what your client is saying, thinking, experiencing, or feeling, but you're both human. Find the common ground. Empathize and let the client know you've heard and seen them without judgment. Reflect back. Wow, that sounds really tough. Or I can only imagine what you're dealing with. Or even that really hit you hard, huh? Practice using nonverbal signals such as body language that say, I'm paying attention and I recognize this is an important moment for you. And then listen and observe carefully. Gather information, ask thoughtful questions to better analyze and grasp the situation probe for understanding don't rush to react wait process and respond thoughtfully listen for the client's scripts and stories the ways they explain themselves and the events of their lives for example i'm a really selfless person that's why people take advantage of me that's how i wound up taking on too much and now i'm a ball of stress and anxiety your client may in fact be a selfless person but it's unlikely that that personality trait is the only factor at play Also, observe your own experiences, thoughts, and feelings as you work through the situation. This is a chance to learn more about your own coaching processes and responses. Next, simply listen to help your clients talk it out. Right now, what does your client need? At this stage, clients often just need us to listen, hear them, and empathize. As a coach, you'll eventually want to come up with an action plan, and we'll talk about that in a second. But let the bad stuff be heard and understood first before you move on why well if your client is able to talk about their concerns openly and get all of their thoughts and feelings out they'll feel safe supported and reassured that you'll stick with them through this difficult time you see when you don't immediately list potential solutions or jump to how you would solve their problem you're actually giving your client a vote of confidence when you allow them to be truly heard without immediately talking next steps you're showing your client that they don't need you to fix them they're not broken they're just going through something tough And when you give them the space to sit with their problem without judgment or fix it suggestions, you'll find that clients often start solving it on their own before the session is even over. And even if they don't, you can simply let them know that you recognize what they've given you. And you'd like them to start thinking about potential strategies, which don't have to be put into action yet. For example, that's definitely a lot to think about, Rick. I can tell that balancing act between crazy long work hours and spending time with your family and making time for your health has really been weighing on your mind. Thanks for trusting me with this. Tell you what, right now let's not worry about fixing anything. I just want to make sure I really get where you're coming from. I'm going to ask you a few questions here to explore this a little more, if that's okay. Then over the next few days before our next session, let's both think about where we can go from here. Next, trust your gut. Don't just think, Feel. Feel what your spidey sense and instincts are telling you. Yes, yeah, some instincts may be yelling, run away, but other instincts may be helping you gather information. You know how sometimes you can just tell someone is lying to you? Not based on any one particular thing they said, but that little tingle of intuition. The same idea applies here. Gather information, not just through what you've been told, but also what you perceive. Watch for nonverbal cues, such as body language and intonation. Observe their behavior holistically. Notice where things seem off or where the script and stories don't add up or conversely, where it all makes perfect sense. All right. That's all step one. Now let's move on to step two, develop an action plan once you've fully explored the problem. So your second objective here is to get to action. Again, don't rush this, but once you and the client are ready to work on creating an action plan to help the client move forward, do so. This process takes some exploration you and your client will want to consider what the client has already tried to do to improve the situation, whether those things have actually measurably worked, what other options may be available to them, and what next steps you can develop together. So here are some techniques to help you facilitate the second step. Beginning with, look for patterns. Feeling stuck or hopeless often comes from feeling mired in our old patterns, except we're often not aware that these are patterns. So point out where you notice common themes. For example, as I listen to your description of what happened when you went to CrossFit every day for three weeks and then ended up on the couch eating an entire package of Oreos, I'm struck by the fact that this seems like a recurring theme for you. Does it sound like a familiar pattern to you? What elements here seem to repeat themselves? Simply bring the client's awareness to the pattern itself and don't try to change the pattern yet. Right now, you just want the client to notice and name their own tendencies and reframe bad individual choices as part of a larger context of behaviors, thoughts, and feelings. Then name the monster. (laughs) Feeling stuck or hopeless is often like being in a tug of war with a monster. The monster is always stronger no matter how much we resist. And you know how the monster in a horror movie is way scarier when you haven't seen what it looks like yet? The same applies to real life monsters. Have clients identify just what their monster is. You can ask, what bothers you the most about the situation? Or, what feels like the absolute worst part of this? Or even, weird question, if the problem you are dealing with were a monster, what kind of monster would it be? Could you describe it? Noticing, naming, and giving voice or form to the monster is simply an imaginative way of developing a hypothesis that can ground your action plan. It identifies, describes, analyzes, and prioritizes what the foundational issue is. Then drill down till you get a good clear picture of the monster. If you have a right brain or visual client, have them draw the monster or the problem or describe it visually as if it were a thing. I even had a client who got one of those ugly stuffed dolls to symbolize her monster (laughs) and she named it Plunky. Now this is a counterintuitive step. It feels like you're focusing on the negative, but by asking clients to identify and describe the sharpest pain point, you're zeroing in On what is truly bothering them interestingly you'll often discover that by simply naming the monster out loud the client's perspective starts to change for example the worst part is this need i have to always be perfect then they pause but having said that i now realize i could ease up on myself next help them let go by trying to exert control the client is pulling against a monster that will always be stronger Let's say the client's monster is a strict calorie counting habit, and it's making them stress over every food choice, maybe even bringing up past issues with disordered eating. Ask the client, what would happen if they just let go? What would it be like? You might say something like, this situation you're describing is sort of like a tug of war with the problem, the monster, if you will, and the monster will always be stronger. You're exhausted from struggling. Let me just float a possibility here. What if you just let go of the rope? For example, if you stop focusing on counting calories, what would happen? Letting go can happen incrementally as well. This is especially a relief to clients who struggle with all-or-nothing thinking. For example, let's say you don't have to let go of everything. Is there something very, very small that you could let go of? For example, what about not counting calories for just one meal a day? Next, envision the worst-case scenario. We're often distressed and anxious because we imagine all kinds of awful outcomes and deep down assume we couldn't deal with those outcomes. So we try to control things in order to avoid those outcomes. Get the client's fears on the table and test whether they could in fact survive it. For example, let's just say for the sake of argument that you stopped counting calories. Let's imagine you never count calories again. What is the worst thing that could happen? On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad would that be? What would you have to face or have to deal with? Could you survive that worst case scenario? Chances are they'll realize that they could and would survive even if the worst case scenario played out. And this takes power away from the monster they're fighting. Now keep in mind, being therapist-like doesn't mean you take crap from clients. (laughs) So to recap, when things get weird, you show up and empower clients to navigate their way through the tough stuff. But it doesn't mean your client's problems are your problems. When coaches complain they're not therapists, sometimes what they really mean is they're tired, quite rightly, of carrying clients' emotional baggage. But remember, taking on other people's baggage isn't therapist like. In fact, it's actually the opposite of being therapist like. If therapists absorbed the pain and suffering themselves, they wouldn't be very good at their jobs, and they probably wouldn't live past 35. So don't take on your client's pain. And yes, clients have pain. Pain is an inevitable and arguably essential part of life. Pain is what brings them to coaching. And as we've already covered, as you coach, you can guide a client to use their pain to create positive change. But things go wrong when you take that pain from them. You quote unquote, take the pain when you try to fix or change what they're going through. When you try to solve their problems for them, when you take on their staff and hold it, rather than being a witness to it or a companion on the journey. You take the pain when you feel responsible for their growth, change, and development. Taking their pain, in other words, means you make it about you. For example, clients are supposed to check in every week and mine don't. That must mean something about my coaching skills. Or my client isn't progressing, so I must be a bad coach. Or even my client is so unhappy, I need to fix that. Creating rules about the universe and taking responsibility for your client's emotional well-being won't make you a better coach. Letting clients keep their pain for themselves will. And in keeping with this, you don't want to take their poop either. Clients give you crap when they're in pain, and we call that poop. You can think of poop as not-so-fun-to-deal-with behavior that is caused by pain or fear of experiencing pain. Poop can be passive-aggressive type resistance, the doing nothing active resistance like negativity this sucks i can't i already know that it can be drama frequent problems and negative vibes and it can be baggage unintentionally taking out whatever is going on in their life on you with harsh words or a bad attitude people with pain and poop aren't bad or screwed up they're probably quite normal indeed many clients are lovely people who give you their pain and poop simply because they don't know what else to do Having pain and poop inside you, it sucks. Isn't it nicer to hand it over to someone else? Of course it is. And you're probably also a lovely person who wants to help, so you grab their bag of painful stuff like an avid poop collector. At the end of the day, you wonder why you smell so bad. But if you take their pain and poop, in other words, if you internalize the pain, if you let them fling poop at you without calling them out on it, you're going to exhaust yourself. And you'll miss the opportunity to alchemize pain and poop into change. With the right strategies, you can help clients move toward improved pain, poop processing and greater self-sufficiency. So start by understanding for yourself whose pain and poop is whose client stuff stays with them. Once you have it straight in your head, you can look at the situation calmly, objectively with your client and agree. It stinks, but ultimately it's theirs. The key to accomplishing this is to make sure that whatever happens next is determined by the client. And here's how. Poke the pain and poop. If you live in a big city, you know all about pigeons. They nest in crevices and dark places. Their poop is corrosive and can destroy building materials. So city officials often have a simple solution. Pigeon spikes. They line comfortable nesting ledges with little spikes that poke pigeons in the bum, so they have to keep flying. The same concept applies to clients. Don't let them nest in their dark places. Poke them a little bit. Let them flap and figure out another better, sunnier place to go. Keep them moving. When we see a client resisting a habit, struggling, being upset, or asking, which I do coach, our initial reaction will most likely be to take their pain for them. We might rush to make them feel better immediately or give them a solution that'll help them avoid discomfort or just get ourselves out of grossness. Don't. Change comes when the pain of not changing is bigger than the pain of changing. We need pain for growth and development. So let them work through the pain. Again, poke a bit, explore, be curious, invite reflection, play around with the pain and poop a little, but don't keep it for yourself. Offer some gentle, caring prodding that helps your clients move forward instead of letting them settle comfortably into the old familiar place of non-growth and stasis. Watch the reactions and be flexible. When you change your approach to dealing with poop, you will change their reaction to you. You control the interaction. Online on today's article, we have a diagram with some techniques that can help. For example, instead of being the quote-unquote expert, you can be curious, ask clarifying questions, engage the client as the expert in their own lives, helping them to find solutions. You can see the entire diagram online at precisionnutrition.com forward slash coach not dash a dash therapist. Make sure to check it out. Now here's a more cynical point. Most clients are, again, normal and good people. They're just muddling through the best way they know how. But a very small portion are professional pain and poop givers. They are experts at handing off their poop and pain to others. They smell your kind heart and good intentions, and they exploit those. Sometimes they're skilled manipulators. But even if they're not doing it on purpose, at the very least, they just can't handle their own shiz, ever. They need to give it to someone else. Signs you might be dealing with a professional pooper include they don't ever seem to be doing well, but rather moving from crisis to crisis. Or they ask you to go outside the scope of your practice. They may want you to help them fix their marriage, for example. Or every conversation with them feels like TMI overload. You know more details about their life than some of your closest friends. Or you feel like you're being sucked into a breathless black hole every time you see them. Or even that when you decline to solve their problems for them, they say or do things that make you feel like a bad person. You see, regular run-of-the-mill, non-professional poop can be resolved by using the techniques we've already mentioned. Being there for a client, empathizing with them, exploring the problem, and maybe moving on to a few action steps will be enough. But if you're dealing with a pro-pooper, nothing is enough. They won't stop at one little turd. They'll fill up bag after bag of crap for you to carry draining you of every last ounce of empathy, compassion, and hope that you have. Now important, you can't change professional pain and poop givers. You have to change your own response to them. So don't absorb any of that pain or poop for yourself by trying to fix them. Instead, use two simple strategies to protect yourself and coach them at the same time. Number one set boundaries. Remind them what's outside of your coaching superpowers and be extremely freaking clear. For example, well, marriage counseling is outside of my powers, but what I can speak to is building an action plan to help you eat well during this time. Or, we have a half hour here today and I have a hard stop at 1030. Do this as frequently as necessary. Stand your ground. Number two, notice how you're communicating and call it out coaches are often empathetic people who get confused when other people don't have the same social skills. You probably know how to ask for what you want, as well as how to respond when you don't get it. You can probably gauge whether something is an appropriate ask or not. Many pro-poopers lack these skills. And while professional poopers will often ask you to deal with their problems that are out of bounds, you'll probably find that there are one or two things out of the many issues they bring up that you can actually help them with. So when a pro pooper is doing what feels like a never-ending monologue about every single thing going on in their life, just get to the point. For example, do you want to do something about the problems you're having getting enough sleep or do you want to just keep talking? Either way, you can pay me, but it's much more useful if we come up with some actions to help you fix this. When you directly call it the fact that a pro pooper is resisting reason and show them clearly what you're willing and not willing to help with, you provide the best possible outcome for both coach and client. Now, with all this said, when is it the right time to call in an actual therapist? After all, most coaches really want to help. It can be tempting, oh, so tempting, to go above and beyond the call of coaching duty. This is where the border of coaching ends and the land of inappropriate, heroic individual action begins. It's an okay place to visit occasionally, but stay only briefly before handing off your client to a qualified tour guide. How do you know when you're in over your head? What can you handle and what is outside your limits? When is it time to refer out? Well, perhaps despite your best efforts at talking your client through the problem and giving them space to come up with solutions on their own and supporting them through that process, things aren't just getting better for them. Maybe they've been feeling down in the dumps for a couple of months, and despite trying a few different coping strategies together, they're starting to wonder if they might be depressed. Or even after encouraging them to let go of calorie counting little by little, They're exhibiting disordered eating behaviors, like intense restriction, binging, and overall preoccupation with food. Or maybe their monster is anxiety and they're having panic attacks regularly. They expressed interest in learning some breathing exercises, but they're not making a big enough difference. These are all situations where you'd want to get an actual therapist involved. And here's what you may be feeling if the client's needs are truly outside your scope, distracted, preoccupied, and consumed by client dilemmas anxious about or dreading your email, like you're constantly putting out fires, fixing things, and dealing with issues, and you're constantly overwhelmed or like you're in over your head. If you recognize some of those signs, it's time to call someone in your support network and or refer your client to a specialist from your roster. And remember, there's no shame in not being able to do it all. Everyone gets stumped sometimes, even super coaches. Great coaching is a team effort. So with that said, who is on your team? As you develop your coaching practice, you should build a support network. Have a group of trusted professionals to whom you can refer clients when appropriate. This will ensure that you don't feel obligated to deal with everything and that your clients will get the help they need. So here's a sample team roster for you as a coach. A psychologist and or psychotherapist, especially one who specializes in body image issues and disordered eating, but who can also handle other common mental health issues, such as anxiety, stress, depression, or trauma a sports medicine practitioner, a massage therapist and or soft tissue therapist, such as an ART or myofacial release therapist, a physiotherapist, a medical nutrition therapist, MNT, or registered dietitian, an RD, a chiropractor or osteopath, and an MD, as well as a women's or men's health specialist, depending on your client base. So make a list, have it ready, and if you want, try out our referral worksheet. You can find a link to it online in today's article. Next, think collaboratively. Some coaches may worry that by referring out to other professionals, they will lose business. In fact, the opposite is true. When you get your clients the help they need, they're more likely to succeed and they'll truly feel like you've got their back. And when your clients are well supported, they're more able to stick to your coaching plan. It goes something like this. They feel better and now they're able to do the work they need to do and they improve, and they think you're awesome. Plus, other professionals can refer back to you. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. So think collaboratively. Always be on the lookout for well-qualified and like-minded practitioners who have a good track record and are willing to work cooperatively. You can even hold social or educational events where you get together with a few of your professional collaborators to present a united dream team to your clients. Just remember, you are not alone. Look for support anywhere and everywhere and refer clients who need it. And with all this said, support yourself first. You know that saying, put your own oxygen mask on first before assisting someone else? Well, that holds true here too. Your support team doesn't just help your clients, your support team can help you as well. Maybe you're feeling a bit overwhelmed by the demands of coaching and you could use some anxiety counseling. Maybe you're getting into a weird space with your own eating habits and could use some help working through disordered eating behaviors. Maybe your low back is killing you and you can barely tolerate sitting down with clients. Or maybe you just need a trusted colleague who can help you bounce some ideas around. Coaching is amazing, but tough work. You can't do it alone. Whatever you need to be an awesome coach, get that support before you wind up burned out. Keep your coaching superpowers in good working order. All right, what to do next? Well, here are some tips from us at Precision Nutrition. Number one, Pay attention to your own discomfort. How do you typically react when a client comes to you with a personal problem? Do you run for cover? Try to cheer them up? Take on their problem as if it was your own? What is it that's making you feel uncomfortable in the situation? See if you can simply stay with the discomfort, sit with it a bit. Be there with the client without trying to fix, dodge, or gloss over the problem. The more you become aware of your own patterns and reactions, the better you'll be able to help your clients move through the change process. Number two, help clients recognize their change moments. Uncomfortable, hopeless feeling moments are a great opportunity for change. Your first step is to help your clients recognize the possibility for that change within their challenge. Practice asking questions that can help unearth an aha moment in your client's mind. Try out one or two of the strategies listed in today's article. After you've thoughtfully explored the problem, Then work together with your client to create an action plan. But take your time. Resist the temptation to rush through the process. Remember that pain is a necessary part of change. And with that said, number three, sniff out the poop. Do you have a client that keeps bringing you their pain and poop? What's your go-to response when this happens? If you think you might be taking on clients' pain and poop, refer to the table in today's article. You could try swapping out one of your standard responses for one of the more therapist-like techniques. Try making one or two swaps and see what happens. Number four, build your referral list. Put together that list of professionals that you can refer clients to when their needs are out of your scope. This can include therapists, specialized counselors and doctors, registered dietitians, and more. Actively build your list and don't be afraid to refer. And if you haven't got a list started, make sure to try out our handy worksheet. Again, the link is online in today's article. And lastly, number five, Tune into how you feel. If you're feeling burned out, constantly frustrated by clients, or perpetually overwhelmed, you might need some added rest and recovery time for yourself. So pay attention to what you need. Reach out to someone in your support system if you need a coach, mentor, paid professional, or just a good friend. Taking care of yourself is necessary in order to care for others. The best coaches don't try to go it alone. All right, this has been Bryce from Precision Nutrition reading today's article, I'm a coach, not a therapist. Nine ways to help people change while staying within your scope by Krista Scott Dixon. You can read the article online yourself at precisionnutrition.com forward slash coach dash not dash a dash therapist. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.
0: Okay, everyone, that's it for this week's edition of Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. For more information about how to become the complete fitness professional yourself and for some awesome free nutrition and coaching resources, come visit us on the web at www.precisionnutrition.com. You could also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at InsidePN. Talk to you next time.